y'all get ready for another edition of News and Trends with your host, Dave and Lynn. Welcome, welcome, welcome to News and Trends with Dave and Lynn. I am one of your hosts, Mr. David Coker, proprietor of Dave Mark Inc., music promoter, um, event planner, uh, man about town, um, Leonard's best friend, and all-around good guy. Um, I'm hanging out here with my partner, Mr. Leonard Young. What's going on, guy? Hey, Dave. Everything's good. This is Leonard Young, CEO of National Black Guide, DelawareBlack.com, Black Media Specialist, all-around good guy. How's everything going, David? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, How, wait, hold on. You actually going? did have... Wait, How's everything going, Dave? <laughs> okay, all right, that's what I know. Um, everything's good, sir. I can't complain. Uh, except uh, this weather's been kind of crazy, man. And you know, every week we come on talking about the weather because the weather's been so unpredictable. And I had yeah. to run in the house. I had to run in the house just then because I, it was pouring buckets out there just then. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, if it's like it, it's been, probably by the time you got in the house, it probably stopped raining, didn't it? Well, yeah, sounds it sounds quiet out there now. It don't sound like it's any rain going any moment. Right. I mean, at the moment, but I, I know, man. When I I sat there, I said, okay, maybe it's gonna die down. Maybe it's gonna die down. I said, nope, it's not dying down. It's not dying <laughs> down. So I ran in. The, I ran in the house. And of course, you know, you get wetter trying to run in the house real quick. Then you do. <laughs> you know. right, right, right. So, but um. But yeah, and last night, man, it poured so bad up in this area last night because I know you were down at you were down at where you are, right at the at the country club down there, right? I mean, no, the, the farm, <laughs> the farm. But Dave, yeah. let me tell you, it's so crazy because I mean, this week I've been going back and forth, you know, kids' activities and all that. It's been raining so much. I don't even know what day it rained and what day it did. You know, it's like. Yeah. Like it's it's literally all running together. So when you say something about rain last night, I can't remember what it did last night. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I can barely remember what it did today, but I I know for wherever I was most of the day, um, it was pretty nice. Yeah, and and that's the thing because it'll be nice for a moment, and then all of a sudden you see the clouds come in, and you'll see the sky. You just you can look at the sky, and it just starts changing. Um, I told you uh, this past weekend was my re- my reunion weekend um with the uh it was really nice man we had a good time all all three days everybody really enjoyed the stuff and we always have a good time when we see each other because um this is the thing that i really wish that people who were under i'm gonna say 40 years old 45 years old under 45 um who didn't get a chance to really experience uh, the type of school schooling that I had coming up. You know, we were a very close-knit group of people. Even if you didn't know everybody's name, you knew everybody's faces. Everybody talked to each other. Communication was open. Everybody talked to each other. We didn't have cell phones that distracted us. We didn't have pages at that time. We didn't have any of that stuff. So we actually got to know each other very, you know, pretty well. We were on the basketball court. We were doing all kinds of different games together. So even till this day, even though all of us are over 
60 years old now. Damn. All over, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, anyway, since all of us are 60 or older now, um, you can still see that we still have that same close knit bond that we had when we were in school, which you don't have with the young people anymore. They don't talk to each other. Everybody's in cliques and, you know, and they don't, they just don't have that same communication level that we have. So anytime we do one of these all class reunions and we spend those three days together that we do spend together, it's really a great thing. And we really appreciate it. And everybody, everybody really uh, takes everything to heart when we do it. So it was really a good thing. We were talking about the weather just then on Saturday, we have a parade, we had a parade and everything. I tell you, God is good because what happened is we, it kept getting cloudier and cloudier as the, the day was going on. And we didn't think we were going to be able to get the parade in because uh, uh, it looked like it was going to rain. We actually got the parade in, got to the end of the parade and that's when the rain came right right uh, at the end of the parade you know yeah. so you so, just made it we just made it and we were having a barbecue too but it saw we saw fit the the food had already been cooked so what happened was they took all the food inside we were able to get inside the school and be able to eat everything inside the school so everything worked out you know so awesome but yeah so it was a good weekend uh did you do anything exciting um nope did not <laughs> on a saturday on saturday my son had a swim meet so i uh, went to the swim meet and that he did very well and really that was about it uh, you know other than that that just, was a big event over the weekend huh? yes <laughs> okay so, all right Okay, yeah. all right. Well, another exciting weekend for Leonard, folks. Uh, okay. I know, I know. <laughs> day, day, one day, I will be lucky enough to live your life. But you know, I, I, I do want to say, um, I, I do agree with what you said. I think, and and maybe it's just social media, maybe it's just the busyness of life. But you know, people don't. I, I do feel like people don't stay connected like okay. they used to. And you know, not only you know, you're talking about friends and you know your alumni. But even families, you know, back in the day, family reunions would be real big. People would see each other, what, quarterly, half, you know, every six months or every year. And and now I don't feel like families, you know, maybe immediate families, but extended families, I feel like, you know, don't get, um, you know, they, they, they don't get those interactions as much where, you know, they they don't know their cousins like our grandparents, aunties and uncles knew their cousins. So that's true. That that is true. I just actually had it's funny you just said this. I just had this conversation about a week ago with um somebody. The exact thing you just said about um staying connected with your family and everything and, and spending time with your family. Because I know when I was a kid, man, we were my family, I had a I have a very large extended family. We were always around each other. I mean, always. And so and so even to this day, those um cousins and everything that I grew up with um back you know when I was kids and whatever we're still close to this day mm-hmm. so but my kids and grandkids don't know their extended family the way I knew my extended family mm-hmm. you know what I mean you know and it's really a shame I mean I've sat at work and I've been at work man and had people in my office talking to them they've come in 
for help or whatever the case may be. And I'll just look at it and say, you know, you look familiar to me and so forth. And I'll just say, it's who your family is. And then I'll find out that this person is a grandchild of a cousin of mine. Oh, wow. And, you know, and they didn't know who I was, you know, but, you know, but that's, that's happened a couple of times since I've been, since, uh, since I've been um, at my job. That's happened at least three times. So, but this is where we are. And it's the same. I wish it was something that we could do to try to make it better. But, mm-hmm. you know, but these kids aren't necessarily interested in knowing yeah. these people either. No, you're right. And and te- technology is too big of a, of a vice to overcome. Technology has just totally taken over everyone's mind. It really has. So, but, you know, but we can go on and on about this subject, but thank God we are blessed enough to have somebody who probably can share some light on exactly what we're talking about um, right now, because, you know, we we're blessed with having um, somebody I think everybody's going to really enjoy hearing from today. So without further ado let's um bring on our guest why don't you go ahead and read her bio uh, her bio and and let everybody know about who we're about to have on sure so today our guest is Valerie Jackson she is the founding owner of the voice of new beginnings coaching and training she holds a bachelor's of arts degree in psychology and african-american studies she is a trauma informed certified professional life coach helping clients overcome limiting beliefs and move toward growth mindsets for personal and professional success. She specializes in helping mothers triumph over trauma and grief using skills she implemented after multiple losses of loved ones. Valerie delivers impactful training on adverse childhood experiences, resilience, trauma and grief, and self-care. In addition, she is a dynamic speaker who engages her audiences, leaving them with a call to action and key takeaways that bring about lasting positive change in organizations and individuals. Valerie is a published author of several articles, poetry, and most recently, the MX5 Self-Care Journal for Women. Valerie passionately shares the love and saving grace of Jesus Christ for the advancement of God's kingdom. She believes that every child of God is responsible for sharing the gospel. Valerie has spoken, ministered in liturgical dance. She got to kill me for that one. And shared the gospel in Africa, Jamaica, Pakistan, and various of the U.S. states. She has a heart for women, especially mothers. Valerie resides in North Carolina with her husband and their two sons. She also has two adult daughters and and two grandsons. Valerie enjoys cooking for family and friends, outdoor adventures like camping at GNR Campground, and read (laughs) nonfiction in her free time. So we would like to welcome you to the show, Valerie. We'll give you a little round of applause. Yeah. Okay. All yep. right. He, he didn't get the round of the applause working there. Oh, you you ain't here? No, okay. Anyway, go ahead. Go okay. ahead. Anyway, um, Valerie, so of course we would like from News and Trends with Dave and Lynn, we would like to welcome you to the show. Um, very impressive bio. Um, and you know, I, I guess to kind of jump right into it, um, I know it says, you know, you have a love of 
helping women and especially mothers. Can you kind of explain, you know, where that, um, you know, love to help them kind of started? Sure. It started on my own grief journey back in 2019. Um, we were, my family and I were preparing for Christmas dinner. It was right after my husband and my sons had just moved over 600 miles away from the place that we knew and called home for all of my life. As I'm preparing everything for Christmas dinner, I was trying to call my family to say, hey, what do you think so-and-so would want for Christmas? And trying to call my brother, who was a trained chef, to say, can you cook this certain dish for Christmas? And nobody was answering, and I couldn't figure out why. So I went about my day, and as I'm downtown late in the evening, I get this bizarre phone call, and it's from my mom. And all I could hear was, Stephen's dead. So I looked at the phone. You know, normally when you get a phone call, it shows up as a missed call. I didn't get that. So I was like, wow, that was the weirdest thing that ever happened in my life. But I still felt a little shook. About five minutes later, my middle brother calls and says he just wanted to check on me. Long story short, it was true. My youngest brother passed away of a drug overdose. It was literally two days before he was supposed to come visit me at my new home for Christmas. So that was a very tumultuous time for my entire family. Here I am thinking I'm preparing Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve, and what was supposed to be Christmas dinner and Christmas Eve dinner turned out to be the part of the repast meal for my brother's funeral. Oh, wow. So, sorry to hear that. Thank you. Um, it was <laughs> it was a very trying time because, like I said, we had just moved. He was supposed to come for Christmas. That didn't happen. And as a result... I just kind of went numb for the longest time. I was not emotionally available for my children. I was not available for my husband. And I just kind of dissociated. So what ended up happening when I went home after my husband and my children returned back to North Carolina, I stayed to be with my mom because that was the second child that she had lost. She lost one as an infant many years prior. And seeing her go through that anguish that I heard about before, but to actually now have to witness that going through my own feelings of, you know, not being there for my younger sons, my daughter, who was present at the time that my brother overdosed, she wasn't there physically in the house, but she was in that area. And I was trying to be strong for her, trying to be strong for my mom until I reached a point where my daughter gave me permission to just go away. She recognized that I needed that. So a dear friend of mine took me to New York, which was a blessing because those connections and those relationships and times of need really helped out. That was something that I had learned through work, but when you're going through it, you tend to forget about it until you're reminded of it later. So she gave me that permission. I came back home after a month, rejoin my husband and my sons, but I still wasn't able to focus. And then one day I was just laying there on the couch, kind of literally balled up after I sent the kids off to school. Cause that's what I would do. They would go. And then I'd curl up in a ball, cry all day, halfway prepare food. If I could many times it resulted in us ordering out because I just didn't have it in me. But this one particular day, it was like, I heard the Lord say, Valerie, I took Steven. I didn't take you. And so I just fell to my knees on the floor and I began to really cry out and pray to God. And I put some music on to kind of create a shift in my atmosphere. 
I called some of my therapist friends that I know who could really talk to me in the moment. And then I just really began to plead with God to take the pain away. And after it was about four hours later, I could breathe again. And as a result of that, and looking back at how I just wasn't present for my kids, it was impacting them because when children are young in the elementary years, they need that attention. They need that social connection. And their mom wasn't there. And I saw how they struggled through that. So as a result of me going through that, seeing the impact it had on my family, I said, you know, like the Lord spoke to me that day, God took Stephen. He didn't take me. There's no way that I'm going to go through all of this and not use it for good. So from that, I decided I'm going to look at things differently. And if I can help just one mother, that's what I'm going to do. And that then later translated into first just doing Facebook lives in the group, which now goes by triumphing over trauma and transitions to a weekly segment called Wednesday words of encouragement. I would just pop on, share an encouraging message, share one of the strategies that I use. Like I might demonstrate box breathing, or I might talk about drinking a cold glass of water or like I did putting on music, something that's going to create a shift in your atmosphere, stimulate your mind, shift your thinking onto something else and put you in a better mood or mind state. I did things like that, which I'm still doing those today. And then I moved on to getting certified as a life coach because I said, you know, I have the degree in psychology, but I didn't necessarily have all the tools. So I wanted to be as effective as I could be to continue then with the speaking, with the training. And then most recently, like you mentioned in my bio, published the journal, the MX5 self-care journal for mothers. And then recently now I am in the process of doing an event with um, Carolina Country Weddings on September 8th for mothers to help them with their mindset and meditative moments to really become intentional about their actions. Because one of the things that I learned from that was life is too short mm-hmm. to live in a box created by someone else to define who you are. And after that, I said, I'm not going to live that way. I really evaluated my life, started to look at things a lot differently. And for years, I was feeling because I had this role, I had to be a certain way. After my brother died, I said, you know what? I love purple. If I want to wear purple hair, I'm going to color my hair purple. And so now, as you see, I wear purple hair and I love it because I've learned to live authentically me and be true to myself. Sure. Now, do, do you find, you know, so one of the things when you're talking about um, helping some other other mothers and other women who may be in the situation, do you find a certain amount of, and um, I'm just going to call it mommy guilt? And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of times, you know, women, wives, mothers, they are kind of like, you know, the leaders of our household or co-leaders of our household. They're the caregivers. They're the nurturers. And when, you know, unexpected trauma or grief happens, that they don't have time to heal themselves because they're so busy kind of pouring out that they don't have time to, you know, take time for themselves. And when they do, they kind of feel guilty because, you know, there's other people who kind of are looking to them for support, nurturing, caring, all that too. Absolutely. 
that's kind of what I was alluding to when I said my daughter gave me permission because mm-hmm. when my husband and my sons left to come back, we have a business. So my husband had to get back for the business. I stayed there to make sure that my daughter was okay. And I stayed to check on my mom. I didn't have time to think about myself and the grief that I was going to, as long as I was there, because my whole family was there. They were my focus. My husband and my children were my focus at that moment, but especially my daughter, because like I said, she was there prior to my brother's overdose. She was saying she noticed um, something and she was like, if only I would have stayed. So she kept blaming herself. So the focus for me then became to, I have to take care of mommy. I have to take care of my daughter. I can't worry about myself. But it turns out she saw where I was, even though I didn't. And it took her giving me permission to take care of myself. But up until then, it was almost as though I totally detached from my own feelings. And then when she gave me that permission, it was like, how dare you? I can't do that. I can't. I can't stop to take care of myself. There's no way that I would do that. And even with my husband leaving with my sons, I was like, are you sure they're okay? That I can't. I have to be with somebody. You got the boys, but who's going to take care of these two? So when it came to me having to make that decision, you know, it was a tough call, but after she pointed out, I did recognize that the need was there for me to do that because in order for me to be fully effective for them, I did have to step back, Mm -hmm. take care of myself and kind of get that reset so I could refill myself to have more to pour out later. Sure. Um, so I, I have two more questions. I'm going to try to make, well, I'll ask them quickly and you can answer them as you will. One is what was it, the transition or what was it like the transition from um, psychology, which you already had a, um, you know, a degree in moving into life coaching? And then my second question is, can you tell us more about the MX5 that you uh, ref- that we referenced in your bio as well? Um, that first question is kind of tricky. I think with, with the psychology that really laid a good foundation Mm -hmm. and the training that I received from psychology more was about, you know, how do you heal someone? How do you carry them along? What's the foundation? How does the mind work? You know, what's the brain process and things like that. And then talking about the root cause, looking back at the past looking at the present and then moving forward from there. Implementation of medication, if necessary, looking at counseling, getting people connected to services. So that's kind of the foundation and the basis that I had gotten and that my training from the psychology did, but it also did give a very in-depth understanding. Whereas the life coaching trains you how to, ask the right questions and come alongside someone, someone who already recognizes, you know, I'm struggling with this and I just need a little bit of help. I might, I don't need medication. I don't need this or I need medication, but it's not enough. I need, I just need somebody to come alongside of me and kind of coach me on kind of like the, if your kids plan a sport and you go along and you're there on the sidelines cheering them on, You might give some suggestions. You might ask some questions to really get them thinking. And that's where the difference comes in. Gotcha. 
And, and then my, my next question was um, in reference to the uh, the MX5 self-care journal for mothers. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. The MX5 came from, like I said, my experiences. And one day I was just praying and I was like, all right, Lord, I need something that is easy for people to follow, but that will really help transform lives and help put them on a better path. So I'm a person who I like alliterations. I like things to rhyme. I like things to, I do patterns when I'm, when I'm training and teaching. So So I'm sitting there and I said, okay, what are the things that I did? I shifted my environment. I started to exercise. There are foods that I would eat and there was different music that I listened to that I knew that would encourage and motivate me because I had to be careful about the type of music that I listened to because I didn't want anything that was going to pull me further down. I needed something that was going to uplift me and motivate me. And then who are the people? So that's where the MX5 comes from. It comes from your mates, your meditations or your prayer, your meals, your movement, and your music. And when I looked at those five things, I said, wow, if I look back that, cross-reference it to all that I've learned in my studies, as well as the research that I've done post my degree years, scientifically speaking, these things really have the power to make a huge difference and a positive impact. And then when I thought, like, without even realizing that's exactly what I did, that was the process and the path that I took that led me to my healing journey as well. So it's um, written in a way where if you're honest with yourself, it promotes self-reflection. It can then serve as a tool for you in times of need, but it also helps you to recognize patterns that are in your life so that you can either look at what's going well and, oh, I want to make sure I keep that. Or it shows, well, you know what? When I'm with this person, I feel really good. When I'm this person, I'm not so good. So it helps you to kind of create some shifts in your life to put you on a better path. Gotcha. You know, that last part you just said, it just made me think of my partner because I know when I'm with my partner, I'm not doing so well. So how would you fix that? (laughs) i'm just saying because because he you know he could be a a lot at times he really can he could be a lot so all right so so hold on no you said you already said enough already you already hold on hold on i'm I'm going to speak for valerie real quick so dave what i would probably recommend if you're not doing so well (laughs) the first thing the the first thing you want to do is look inside Because, you know, the first key is self-awareness. So it may be something about yourself that's not, (laughs) you know, something about yourself that needs to be worked on so that, you know, you can feel better. So I I would say the first part, look inside, do some self-reflection. Right, Valerie? Well, exactly. We did talk about some mindset work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. All right. Well, look, look. Valerie's talking. We're going to Val. When uh, here we go, Val. Here, I'm, I'm changing it now. It's Val. Um, <laughs> here we go. We're not going to allow the person who doesn't have a psychology degree to speak on psychology. Okay. <laughs> well, <then>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're not, not going to do that. Okay. All right. So, um, but anyway, um, 
in listening to everything that you said so far. And actually, Leonard did yeah, actually pull some things that I was going to ask you about, but I want to take it in a little bit of a different direction in reference to, especially with um, dealing with grief. The big word nowadays is the T word, which is trauma. Trauma. Trauma is a very big word these days. I mean, you got TED Talks being done about it. You got all types of um, journals. You got all types of uh, um, um, all types of um, online literature that's being written up, and it's it's just a very big thing right now. Leonard and I talked recently, and I I I brought up a topic a while back um, where we're finding out in a lot of a lot of the trauma that a lot of the trauma is coming from young a young age okay where the children who have been dealing with trauma um at a very young age and I'm talking about before 10 years old mm-hmm. um had it so you know had had so many issues with the trauma that they were going through it almost became like a PTSD type situation for them where it led them and kind of shaped them into becoming the people that they became as adults who led them into things like, you know, um, homelessness, alcoholism, drug abuse, um, uh, various situations that, and, 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 and um, scenarios that, that is really, um, we see almost on a regular basis nowadays. Now, of course, these days the doctors are quick to go to their prescription pads and and start writing prescriptions and saying, you know, oh, this will this will take care of it. This will keep you regulated for you know a period of time. And that's really unfortunate because they're doing this at a young age with all our kids. Everybody has ADHD. Everybody has this. You know, um, everybody's sick nowadays. We have so many mental illnesses that are out there right now. So here we're we're listening to you and you're talking about the experiences that you had, especially, um, you know, that led to your trauma, you know, with your brother dying, um, especially unexpectedly. Um, I know you and I had conversations and you talked about, you know, he also had um, addiction of his own that he was dealing with that he was also struggling with as well. Um, and then you have to deal with your grief mm-hmm. based on what had happened. And, um, so I want to take it, I want you to talk about, um, these trends that we are seeing with the children who become adults and dealing with what they have to deal with as adults because of what happened to them as young people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. Basically, what you just described is what is termed adverse childhood experiences. Exactly. Yes. Um, Oprah Winfrey really did a great job of drawing our attention to that when she did her, uh, her, she did a special on adverse childhood experiences using the proverbial language of it's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. And what you're saying is so key about Doctors are just quick to prescribe now. I'll be the first to say, if people need medication, go ahead and take it. Some people actually do need it, but that's not always the case. Unfortunately, when children are exposed to adverse childhood experiences, it does often become misdiagnosed as ADHD, as autism, 
And then we're only treating symptoms and we're not looking at the root cause. The other thing that's significant to know about adverse childhood experiences is a lot of times when we're talking about brain development, if you look at brain scans, if a child has been exposed to multiple adverse childhood experiences, which can include domestic violence, um, neglect, substance abuse in the home, physical abuse, sexual abuse, things like that, your brain is uh, the growth is stunted in your brain. And sometimes what you see is that children and adults, they get stuck at that point. At the point where that adverse childhood experiences has come in or at the point at which they were exposed to an addiction, physiologically, they're continuing to grow. Chronologically, they're continuing to grow, but emotionally, they often get stuck at that point. The more people that we can get to understand that and recognize that, the better we can address some of these issues. It doesn't mean that we're giving people an excuse or a pass, but what it means is that we look at it and we we then respond differently to what we're seeing. So I think that if we as a community can come together, recognize that because even though we see a lot of this, there is hope. The research points to the fact that in the life of a child, even with children who've been exposed to adverse childhood experiences, the impact of even just one positive influence in that child's life has the ability to help promote healing. So we need to really look at that and not look at it as a death sentence. There has to be willingness on both sides. And I'm that person. I'm not going to look at the glass half empty. I'm going to see the glasses half full. So even in the midst of everything that we're seeing, we are seeing even where I'm at crime rates happening among younger students. The, the police officers are saying it's not so much that the crime is getting worse or that it's getting different, but what we're seeing is that the perpetrators are getting younger. We need to, as Dr. Nadine Burke Harris says, she, she has a book called the deepest well. We need to look at what's inside the well. We need to look at what's going on. Why are these children committing crimes? What is happening? Is it a socioeconomic situation? Is it because they're mirroring behaviors that are being presented to them that they are now just emulating? Or what, what is the root cause? And then look at that cause and set up, instead of penalizing everybody for even small things, let's look at them, come alongside and look at preventive measures instead. Help them out when they get to that point If they have to have some sort of consequence, which, yes, they would, make it appropriate for their age and for what they've done. And at the same time, then put supports in place to reduce the recidivism of them going back into those same behaviors. All right. I, I, I like that answer. And you actually hit everything right on the head there. And I, I really appreciate, um, where you went with that because we are in, we are in a situation and and our life is so crazy now with the young people who are dying because of, you know, I mean, gosh, most of the, most of the mass shootings we have have been done um, with people that are under 30 years old, you know, and, and a lot of them under 25 years old. So um, we have to make sure, you know, it, 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 you always wonder if somebody just sat down with them and just talked to them, 
and be able to try to to meet them mentally where they want to be met. That would make a big difference in the world today. As a life coach, and this, this is going to be my last question, as a life coach, um, have you done a lot of uh, coaching with young people yourself, or what is the age ranges of the people that you tend to to um, have to well do, do um, use your life coaching skills with? Well, that's an interesting question because I'm a certified life coach by profession, but it's also who I am. So the skills that I've attained as a life coach, I use it with everybody. It's not like I can say, okay, these aren't my hours, so I'm not life coaching anymore. When the kids come play with my sons, I'm using those life coaching skills mm. with the children. Right. I'm getting down to their level because if they're going to be shorter than me, although I'm short, I'm, I'm shrinking down to their level to talk to them at eye level and ask them, what is going on? When I see that there's a conflict with the children, I'm saying, okay, well, what can we do differently? How could you have responded differently? I'm doing that with my own children. I typically try to work with adults. I like to work with moms of young children. And I think because I have a passion for young children. And I also, I'm a mom myself. And so for me, I look at it as women are very influential, especially mothers. Mothers can set the course for the future. Like you said, moms are often the backbone of a family, which I, to a degree. So if you can work with the mom, get mom healthy and whole, then not only is she going to be happy, you know, like the saying, happy wife, happy life. If mama's not happy, nobody's happy. So working with mom to help her get in that good position emotionally, mentally, mentally, physically, help her to look at herself physically, then she will then pass that on to the children. She will model that for the children. And then it get, gets passed on to other generations so that generational curses can be broken. So that now instead of perpetuating unhealthy habits, unhealthy thoughts, we can now replace those unhealthy and negative thoughts with positive thoughts, with growth mindsets, so that then if that becomes who you are, that becomes what your family is known for, and you can pass that forward. Okay. All right. All right. That's cool. Lynn, you got anything else on your side? Um, no, I you know, I, I think everything else I'll probably just ask during the show. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But, um, you know, I, I think we definitely commend you on what you're doing because you know, one, I was having a conversation with some, and I, I'll just make it super quick. I was having some a conversation with somebody, and they were talking about a um, a, a coworker who recently had somebody that passed away. And um, while the coworker was at the funeral or closely, you know, around that grieving process, they called my friend and they were asking them questions about work or doing something. And my friend was like, "Well." you know, why are they acting like that? You know, they're acting weird. And I was trying to explain to them, you know, everybody deals with grief in their own way. Sometimes we know we're not. And I consider that, and, you know, I know, and I know Dave, like we've had close people to us pass away. And right. I, and I, I consider that I'm not a psychology major like Dave, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, um, I kind of consider that avoidance where, okay, I'm going to fill myself with, 
busy work so I don't have to think about what I don't want to think about. So, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, we definitely commend you on what you need because Dave and I always talk about, and, and I know you help the ladies, but even for the men, you know, there's just not enough positive outlets where people can, you know, talk, get things off their chest, hear advice in a, you know, an unbiased, uncritical atmosphere. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah, Dave, I made Valerie speechless. Okay. Yeah, no, you, you, <laughs> man, I tell you, you're always doing that to our clients because, I mean, our, our, our guests on our show, because then they don't know what to say because they, they're sticking to themselves. Listen to this dude. Oh, you, <laughs> you know that's that's what's going man, on. Man. Now you got her all choked up, and she can't talk. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I know. come on, come on now. I mean, are, are you okay, Val? Can you talk now? Yeah, I'm okay. okay. That was good. Right. I mean, literally, right. it was so good. Just you had me choked excuse up. Excuse my <laughs> partner. Excuse my partner. He does stuff like that to people all the time. So go ahead. <laughs> all right. What you said is so true because if you think about it, denial is one of the stages in grief. Mm. It's not linear. Grief is circular, it's diagonal, it's round, it's square, it's squiggly, it goes all over the place. So it's important for people to be able to have that moment, but then they, at some point, the hope is that they will regroup and come back to deal with what has happened. Death is a reality of life. When I was a child, my dad, I used to say, Pop, you are so sick, because he would always say, a man is born but to die. All I need is three score and 10. And after that, I'm good. And I was like, man, how could somebody be so callous? But when my brother died, that was part of what helped me because I could hear my dad's voice ringing in my head. And I'm like, you know what? Wow. I'm here all torn up. Nothing I do or say is going to bring him back. So at some point I had to accept that reality. And I could literally hear my dad saying, Every man is born but to die. And I said, even though his life was cut too short for our liking, he loved the Lord. He served him. He assured us of his salvation. He made an impact in a whole lot of people's lives in the amount of time that he was here on this earth. Unfortunately, his ended in an overdose. But at his funeral, so many people came and said, you know, it's because of your brother that I got off of drugs. It's because of your brother that I'm this way. It's because of your brother. Your brother did so much for me. When, when I think about the way my dad said it, he put it in perspective. That made a lot of difference for me. Finally, I was able to breathe and say, oh, okay. So, I mean, I guess you can tell that I have a very strong faith background. That was one of the things that helped me get through. So as I work with people, that's the message I give. I give a message of faith, hope, and resilience. Because if you don't have faith, if you don't have hope, if there's no resilience, you can acquire resilience. But if you don't have faith in something, if you don't have hope, people are going to give up. Right. What point is there to go on if you don't have hope? So that's the message that I give. Like, um, Dave, you were talking about the T word. That's true. But we cannot talk about trauma without talking about hope. Yep. We, we just that's can't. Right. Yeah. And and that's the thing, because if you don't, when you look at a lot of the situations that happen in suicides and uh, people who are 
unexpectedly dying and so forth and so forth. And you look at their, you look inside who they were and whatever, you know, um, you know, you always hear about how people always will say, you know, I was brought up in church. I was this and I was that I was, you know, I, you know, my mother, we had us in church every weekend or uh, we were in church three or four days a week or whatever. You hear all of that. But then you look at, but you're looking at the person who's telling you this, and this is a whole different person, okay? But you know somewhere inside, because they're saying this to you, that they still have that faith base. It's still there. It's just that they allowed other things to to build on it, you know, to take away the foundation that you had at one point, that 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 faith gave you at one point. And you allowed these other things to come in and distract you or take you in other in other places. And that's what's that's what makes things so crazy these days is because we're in a world full of distractions. You know, yeah, um, you know, I talked earlier about, you know, the the relationships that uh were were built um when I was in school. And because we didn't have the type of distractions that they have now, the distractions are so large and so big and so dominant that, you know, the, they these distractions think for the people who are allowing these distractions to come into their lives. Okay. It's not the other way around We're you, you know, we're allowing the distractions to, to take over our lives. Um, you know, and that's a big thing because, Unfortunately for these kids, they don't have a chance. For the young people, they don't have a chance. When you look at them and you try to have a conversation with them, you know, um, I was at an event the other day and the the person who spoke, um, this was during the reunion uh, at our church service, the, per, the uh, person who, who was speaking said, I challenge everyone to turn your phone off for 10 minutes while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what everybody did. What you just did, everybody laughed because nobody could do it. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's unfortunate that nobody took me serious enough to just go ahead and do what I just said. Because he said he looked around the room. He said not one person went to push that button to turn their phone off. Not to mm-hmm. silence it, but to turn it off. Well, that's where we are right now. Like you said, you mentioned about social media, it promotes distraction and deception. And the human minds are naturally wired to gravitate toward negativity. That's why we have to, you know, in the word of God, there's scripture that talks about we have to hold our thoughts captive because we have those negative thoughts. But what you give life to is what is going to grow. That's what you're going to produce. So whatever we choose to give attention to, that's what's going to grow. So when you talk about like the, these young kids don't stand a chance to that, I would say, but for God, but for hope, because without intervention, without someone caring enough to step forward and to recognize what's going on, to take the time to sit down and talk with these younger people, there is no hope. But when someone comes alongside of them and says, you know, you know better than this. Why are you acting like this? I can't tell you how many kids that I've seen on the streets. I'm that person. If I don't know a person, I'm bold. So I'll go up and talk to anybody. And if I see kids that are acting up, even adults, is that really what you want to do? 
it startles them because they're not used to people doing that. So it's really going to take people stepping out of the norm, sometimes maybe even stepping out of your own comfort zone for the betterment of someone else. When we as a society can do that and recognize that we are all connected, we're going to find that life is a lot better. But then we also have to look at ourselves like earlier, Leonard was talking about taking that self-reflection. Are you guys were kidding around, but <laughs> you really got to take some time for self-reflection. Look at yourself. What am I really comfortable with? What would I want someone to do for me? What would I want someone to do for my child? And then go from there. Consider the source. Consider who it is that we're talking to. Consider what the situation is that we're facing and then respond based on that. We'll see a whole lot of change. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. The the sounds, the voice, and the wisdom of Miss Valerie Jackson. Um, if you want to hear more about where she's coming from, what she's talking about, what she's doing, how would people be able to get in touch with you? Tell us about um, your social media pages and how the people can contact you and um, your YouTube channels, you know, all of that. Tell us about that. Okay. Well, first place I'd say is um, if you want to just get an overview, you can visit my website, which is thevoiceofnewbeginnings.com, beginnings with an S. And all of my social media platforms, I'm on Instagram, the voice of, at the voice of new beginnings. I have Facebook, the Facebook page, The Voice of New Beginnings. But then I also have a a Facebook group, which is currently entitled Triumphing Over Trauma and Grief, Triumphing Over Trauma and Transitions. So if you want to find me on Facebook, you can either look there or you can look at The Voice of New Beginnings. And I'm also on LinkedIn as The Voice of New Beginnings Coaching and Training. Okay. All right. And what about YouTube? Um, I have a YouTube channel with the voice of new beginnings that will not give you much (laughs) because my YouTube channel is, I love to cook. As I said before, I like cooking for family and friends. Oh, you're holding out on, wait, you're holding out on us. Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) Okay. So that with the YouTube channel is dedicated to cooking. That's what it was dedicated to. Yes. Because I, okay. Cooking, like you can really tell a whole life story through a dish and through the way that you prepare a meal. We can get into that another time, but (laughs) hey, look, look, I I never used to watch the the cooking channel, I never Mm -hmm. used to watch that, but now there's so many shows that just holds your interest about listening to the way people prepare their food, looking at uh, like. One of my favorite shows is, uh, what is it, uh, Drive-In Diners and Dives. Yeah. And when, when, when the guy, when the guy Fieri goes into these places and you, and you hear how they prepare their food and you hear the comments about how these people are just loving this food and how you could tell it's made with, you know, they, they would love and they're using old fashioned recipes and everything. That really, that's really something. So, when people cook like that and, and people can can get down like that, I mean, if you if you cook like that, I'm watching your channel, you know. So, so you know, it is an extension of oneself. When you cook, <laughs> it's an act of love and it's an extension of oneself because I can give you a recipe. I can give both of you a recipe. I can give you the exact same steps, 
chances are it's going to come out different come from out all three. Yeah. Because yeah. The, yeah. the one thing that's missing is the Dave is going to be missing from my dish. The Valerie's going to be missing from Leonard's dish. And the Leonard's going to be missing from Dave's dish. Uh, definitely. His, the Leonard will be missing from Dave's dish. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 um, so, but, uh, well, that's great. That's great. Uh, I'm, I'm glad. And, and we'll, we'll have you repeat all of those, um, um, pages and everything before we let you off the show. But we're going to actually get into our other portion of the show now. Um, and hopefully, uh, have your input on some of the things that we're about to talk about because, I think we have some um, subjects that I'm sure that you can shed some light on um, and be able to give your expertise on. So, um, so I guess we'll go ahead and get into those particular, uh, get into that particular portion of the show. So um, the first thing we're going to talk about, and uh, let me just say, you guys are listening to news and trends with Dave and Len. Um, our guest today is Miss Valerie Jackson, life coach, this extraordinary woman period um I, you know we're so glad to have her on the show so um thank you for joining us miss jackson so she's going to stay around with us as we talk about our subjects uh our topics for tonight so our first uh topic is in, in um entitled uh suicide rates have risen among people of color okay so what I want to do is I just want to read a few things off of this article that I came across. And I just thought that we talk about it a little bit. Excuse me, talk about it a little bit here. So it, it says, and this was, uh, I think this article was published in uh, February of this year. New research shows uh, disproportionate increases in suicide rates have occurred among people of color over recent years. While the rate of such deaths among whites has no, noticeably fallen, an analyst published Thursday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention showed that whites were the only racial or ethnic group to see an overall drop in their age-adjusted suicide rate between 2018 and 2021, with a decline of 3.9% from 18.1 deaths per 100,000 to 17.4 per 100,000. That occurred despite an um, apparent uptick in the groups in the groups rate between 2020 and 2021. Meanwhile, people who were American Indian or Alaska, Alaska Native had the highest proportional um, increase in suicide rate among racial or ethnic groups between 2018 and 2021, with a 26% rise from 22.3 deaths per 100,000 to 28.1 per 100,000. The suicide rate among Black individuals increased by 19%, the study found, while the rate among Hispanic persons rose by nearly 7% over that time frame. Um, suicide rates increased among, uh, among Asian, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islander and multiracial people were not deemed significantly 
statistically significant uh, according to the study. I'm going to stop right there. There's a couple things else I want to bring up, but I'm going to stop right there. You guys heard the numbers. You heard the categories that I was talking about. I find it interesting, especially that last paragraph I just read. And let me say that one more time, too. Just You heard me talk about prior, we talked about um, Blacks, we talked about American Indian and Alaska Natives who had the highest increase, while Whites decreased, okay? But then it says here, suicide rates increased among increases among uh, Asian, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander and multiracial people were not deemed statistically significant, according to the study. So it was basically saying not enough to to say anything about okay what do you think about what what you've heard so far about this article um uh, uh well let's start with you valerie what do you think about that well it just brings to mind all the work on diversity equity and inclusion for the most part it's communities of color that were adversely impacted during these 2018 through 2022 the times that the statistics were recorded, which was just prior to the nation being informed about COVID during the COVID years and coming out of it. If you think about people who are already limited to their access to services, and then you now put everybody in isolation where everything is shut down, they can't get to the services. There's no longer that safety net of reaching out. Where are they going to go? Who's going to be there then? to help connect if they aren't able to access the services. Now, I find it interesting with the populations where it says it's not statistically significant. Is it because the way the data was collected? Could it be to the reporting? That, I don't know. I do find that interesting myself. Right, right. What do you think, Leonard? So, I mean, first, I just like, you know, it is very hard being black in, in, in today's culture. So um, I'm not surprised because, you know, Dave, we, we talked a couple articles about, you know, black men's suicide rate, black women's suicide rate. And then we talked right. about some instances of, and, um, you know, I, I don't want to downgrade, um, downplay anybody's, you know, feelings or emotions, but, you know, some suicides from the outside, I would call pointless. And I'm only saying pointless in terms of they look like their life was good. You know, now, of course, we never know anybody's inner struggle. But from the outside, you know, um, you know, it, it looks like it could have been adverted or prevented. So, I mean, I'm I'm really not sure. But I mean, I will say. um being a black person in today's cult- culture and you, the United States, I think is tough. Um, kind of like we talked about last week as well. I feel like black people are the leaders in fighting for fairness for all minorities. I mean, you know, we're not purposely fighting for minorities, but we are the ones who kind of speak out the most. And I feel like we get crucified the most for it too. So um, when you talked about some of those smaller ethnic groups you know i feel like they're benefiting on the struggles that we have you know if we go back to the civil rights movement 
you know, who were the people getting, you know, the dog sick on them? Who were the people getting the, the fire hoses? Who were the people, you know, getting, you know, incarcerated at, you know, um, large rates? You know, so I, I, I feel like then and now I feel like we're brunting a lot of the burden for multiple cultures, you know, the LBGT, you know, like I, I just feel like we are um, at the forefront of that good and bad. Well, one thing I could say, and uh, I don't know if you're aware, I don't, I don't know if I told you about uh, that I, you know, my primary job is that of a social worker. Um, okay. I'm, you know, so um, during the pandemic, and this is where a lot of these numbers kind of fall into, during the pandemic, um, <clears throat> believe it or not, <clears throat> a lot of suicide numbers were probably skewed during that time because during that time, a lot of the people who would be deemed um, and I want to put this politically correct, who would be deemed um, candidates for suicide, you know, the perfect candidates for suicide because of their economic status or, or because of everything that they might have been going through at that particular time, had been taken care of because they were brought in from the homeless were brought in from the cold. The, the, you know, they were uh, a lot of people who might not have had places to go or counseling and all of that type of stuff. They were able to get a lot of help over the last three years during the pandemic because the government made a lot of, put a lot of programs in place to help them. So a lot of the, the issues that they were necessarily having, especially if they were dealing with, you know, the main issue was coping period um, with life in general was kind of temporarily um, laid to rest. And, and I, I just say that for lack of a better term at the moment um, so that they, you know, were being taken care of and so forth and so forth. But at the end of 2022, uh, when we started to come out of this thing, the pandemic, and, you know, they were deeming, you know, the pandemic's over and that type of thing, they started, you know, eliminating a lot of the programs and putting these people, you know, back in the situations that they were once in. And here you start seeing these numbers go up again. And and, and um, people started having issues of coping again because they were back in the situations that they were in before. And they didn't necessarily know how to get out of it. And of course, now coming out, when you look at, you know, the housing market, uh, especially here in Delaware, you know, you're down there in North Carolina, but in, mm -hmm. in Delaware, things have really gotten crazy with the housing market. You know, um, you might have been living in the house, you sold your house, and then you can't, you can't afford getting into someplace else a lot of times, you know, or now the, you know, the rental prices are so ridiculous now that, you know, their mortgage prices. Mm -hmm. So um, so a lot of people are having issues with just dealing with just wanting to wake up every, every day, you know? So and we're also being flooded with messages of fear. Oh, and fear, definitely, yes. exposed to that and you don't have an outlet for you, these are the kind of things that we can see because now suddenly what's real is hard to distinguish from what's not real. 
And then you're getting flooded with all of these thoughts in your mind that just run wild and you can't see your way out. That is so true. That is so true. And and, and it's really a shame because it, it is definitely a fear factor. I mean, you know, uh, fear, you know, definitely fear comes into play and, and, and it's hard to get that out of your mind and, and you just can't, you just don't know what to do. When I look at the numbers in this article, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, go over too many of the numbers, but the numbers in this article is really staggering when you look at the, uh, the deaths, um, that have occurred to people, to people of color. Um, it does say while whites accounted for most of the increase in total suicides from 2020 to 2021 at more than 1,200 or approximately 2,200 additional deaths a year after year, they're saying the other ethnic groups almost doubled those numbers. That's that's crazy. That's that's scary, you know. So, um, but I just wanted to. And, oh, and this is the last thing I want to say about this particular article. I thought this point was um, interesting. It said among individuals between the ages of 25 and tw- and 44 years old, the suicide rate rose from 5% overall and by nearly 34% for American Indians or Alaska Natives from 2018 to 2021. It rose by more than 19% sent among Hispanic persons in that age group by approximately 23%. Um, black people, <laughs> let's realize how they, how they classified us in this article. Because <laughs> you, you know, I've been saying Native American and Asian and so forth. They just come out and say black people. <laughs> oh my God. Disconnected and have no place to go home. <laughs> They could at least went look. They gave they they could at least went our favorite other thing to say African American, you know. But you know they just said black people, okay. They and they said that all throughout this article. That's so funny. Um, people in um and by nearly twenty one percent among multiracial individuals. Now that's an interesting thing, the multiracial part, because they do have, you know, they're dealing with a lot. They're dealing with a lot, and and because of that, I can you can see that they would have a probably have a hard time with suicide, you know, and because of that, children under ten years old were excluded from age significant increases among young black persons aged ten to twenty four years, and across multiple multiple racial and ethnic populations aged 25 to 44 years raised particular concern in the African American community. I, I threw that part in. I didn't, it's not what it said. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say black people again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but anyway, you get where I'm, you get where I'm going with that. We had, you know, it's 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 definitely an issue. Um, I, I saw this article. I just wanted to talk about it a little bit since we had our guest on that we have on tonight, and she kind of shed it, shed some light, you know, her thoughts and so forth. And I've always, you know, like you said, Leonard, you and I have talked about this because, you know, we've done we've done stories about 
right. you know, we've been on the air, you know, we've been on the air almost two years now. And how many celebrities have we talked about that have passed away um, through, you know, that have taken their own lives? Um, and like you said earlier, they all look like they had something to live for. But apparently we don't know, you know, it's not all about the suits. It's not all about the dresses. It's not all about the glamour. It's what's underneath. And suicide, too, it's a byproduct of a deeper mental illness. And sometimes it's hard for us to see that as such. Like I was reading an article one time and it was saying, you know, we we need to move away from saying they died by suicide Mm. and say instead shift it to say, you know, they died from suicide. It's just like cancer. You know, they died from cancer. They died of cancer. They don't say we don't say they died by cancer. Yeah. No one who's rationally thinking, no one who is well is going to willingly take their own life. And that is one of the ways that we really need to move towards looking at it because our hope, our joy doesn't come from an accumulation of wealth. Like you said, how many wealthy people have we seen that are still struggling? Our peace of mind doesn't come from you know, our status in the community. It might make us feel good, but typically what ends up happening once we reach a certain level, we're looking to get to that next level. Once we hit a certain financial level, it's like, oh, how can I get to the next level? Or how then we're fighting to maintain it. So really looking at it from that perspective as a mental illness that it really is and helping people to come alongside them in those type of situations. Okay. All right. You have the last word. <laughs> so thank you for that. Okay. Um, all right. So th- we're going to move on to our next topic. Um, and actually, I, 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 this is another story I came across. And I love this story because it definitely has an unusual twist that we're not used to. Okay. So this story is is about it's called uh, and this happened in Chicago. Murder charges dropped against mother and son duel for fatally shooting male attacker. Now that title just sounds like okay, here we got another shooting story, you know, so forth and so forth. But listen to this. It's not every day that you read a story about a Chicago shooting that ends this way. According to CBS News, a mother and son have had the murder um, charges previously filed against them dropped upon investigation. 35-year-old Carlisha Hood and her 14-year-old son turned themselves in on murder charges last Thursday, and now it appears that both are scot-free. Hood and her son were at a local restaurant on South Halstead when she got into an argument with a man named Jeremy Brown. Good old Jeremy Brown. Hood texted her son to help her, and the boy entered the establishment just in time to see Brown punch his mother three times in the head. The teen immediately drew a firearm and shot Brown in the back. Despite his wounds, Brown fled the restaurant and Hood told her son to follow him um, and shoot to kill. <laughs> okay. 
Brown died later at the hospital. Who was a legal concealed carrier with a FOID card, which stands for Firearms Owner Identification, and had a right to defend herself from her attacker. Once the Cook County prosecutor, Kim Fox, watched the surveillance video from the store, she immediately dropped the charges. And she said, based upon the facts, evidence, and the law, we we are unable to meet our burden of proof in the prosecution of these cases, Fox officially uh, added. If you ever needed a reason to be a legally armed citizen, this is the right one here. What do y'all think about that? <laughs> That's interesting, right? Yeah, you know, definitely. Um, Dave, when I first heard it, um, so um, I saw the video before. I was uh, getting ready to you, did you see the video? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. I, I saw the video. And so two things. To me, this seems like something that would be more likely to happen to a white person. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, okay. me, I'm being honest. And yeah. then two, I can kind of understand because um, the guy was really punching the lady in the face. Like, like, yeah, he was, he was, punch- he was drawing back. He was drawing back on her. Yeah. So I'm just thinking if a son comes in and sees somebody punching his mother like that, you know, I can, I mean, I can kind of see him having a reflex, you know, of shooting, but I mean, Kind of not. But then also, you know, and one thing you mentioned, you, you know, she's a, a legal firearm owner, concealed weapon holder. But he's not, you know, like, why, why, why does he have the gun? You know, how did he get the gun? Why is he shooting? You know? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was interesting, too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and that is interesting. And he's a teenager. Yeah, he's a teenager. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I will say this is something you don't hear too often, especially for black people, but I'm not overall surprised because, you know, I saw a lot of people's reaction on social media and a lot of people were saying that he was basically coming to her rescue. Now, I don't think she would have died from the guy punching her, but I mean, it was definitely full fledged assault. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, the son did what, he felt is right. Now, I would say I think the son should definitely get some counseling. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't heard anybody talk about any, um, you know, any kind of counseling for him because, you know, just like we talked about, he may be acting, you know, hard and, you know, um, griefless. But, you know, they I can't think of anyone who shoots somebody and kills them and doesn't feel a certain way inside. Or... Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they, they should feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Val, what do you think? Well, I'm kind of leaning along those lines. I'm like, okay, where did the 14-year-old, I think he was 14 or 12, something <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, 14. Where did he get the gun? How did he get the gun? Um, who is now going to deal with this child as a result of what happened? One, the trauma of seeing his mom getting bludgeoned by somebody, but then now having blood on your hands as a child? I get why the mom was cleared of any charges, but I am a little conflicted when I hear, I didn't know the story, but if you're saying that the assailant ran out the door 
and then the mom tells him to go and yeah. shoot to the death. Yeah, that's right. And apparently that's what he did. Um, now different different states have different laws. I'm not sure what the laws there are. But that seems to be excessive because at the point that he ran out of the door, her life was no longer in danger. Right. Unless he made a threat there and told her that he was going to finish her or something like that. But then again, if he ran out the door, you can call the police and the police can come and clean up. Right. So, I no. think I, I, I also wonder here if they knew this guy and there was some other stuff going on there. You know, because sure. because it just seems to me that that you know the kid the kid when you look at the video he looked kind of comfortable doing what he did didn't he Leonard? So yeah, I didn't actually see the part of the video where he ran. I you know I just saw where he came inside. The, he was kind right. of standing there, and you and, see, and he you see him go in his pocket to get the gun. I didn't see and that. He points yeah. the gun, but that's you know. But he just seemed kind of, I felt he, just that part, he looked comfortable doing what he was doing. You know? I can understand that he would look comfortable. If somebody's doing that to your mom, especially as a male child, as men, you are wired to protect. Even though he's the child, that's still his mama. But the whole thing is just a sad, unfortunate thing. Yeah, yeah right. it is. And, and, Leonard, and Leonard was right to it's, bring up what he just said. Is the kid getting counseling or should he be getting counseling, you know, and, um, you know, it's good that I, 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 well, then, because now, now I'm kind of conflicted because we don't want a juice type situation to happen with Tupac in, you remember Mm. the movie Juice, (laughs) (laughs) you know, And, and, you know, now you got this power, you know, in your hand from this gun and now you think you're invincible. Right. You know, I hope that's not the situation that also could occur with this kid, you know. So, but it is, I, I the reason I wanted to bring up the story is because it's one of those situations that we just don't hear about happening for us. We don't, Leonard's favorite thing to say, um, Val, is we don't have the complexion for the protection. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we normally don't have that. But in this case, it seemed to work out. I didn't see the video. So, what what race was the assailant? They they were both oh, black. Oh, they were black. And based on what we see presented before us, oftentimes in media, it's not necessarily totally shocking. If the gentleman, the man who was punching the mom in the face, was of a different race, we may have likely seen another outcome. And we wouldn't have oh, been yeah. asking those same questions about, you know, well, the mom is, yeah, I can see the mom, but the kid, we probably wouldn't be asking that question. Yeah. Chances yeah. are the child would have been shot. Right. Well, uh, would have been shot or thrown in jail. Well, both of them would have been put in jail because that's a whole different scenario if the assailant was of a different race. Yes. Yeah, I, I really believe that. So. Especially in communities where there's a lot of racial tension. And yeah. where the law enforcement doesn't necessarily protect people of brown skin, perhaps they saw it as the. And I hate to say this, but there, the, the truth is the truth, and there are those instances where it's like, as long as you're killing yourselves, we don't care. True. I would venture that's to true. say that's not the norm, but it does exist. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, we know it does exist. I mean, all over, it does exist. So, all right. Well, hopefully, uh, well, you know, if we hear some more about this story, we we would definitely report it. Uh, the, the, you know, I just thought it was interesting because it's not. It's very rare that you see something like this happen, and uh, I just thought I'd bring it up and and talk. We talk about it a little bit. So <laughs> you're pulling out some good ones. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for indulging me. Well, Leonard's got a good one coming up, don't you, Leonard? Go ahead. Yep, I, I do. So, um, this this was a story that I actually just heard about today, and I, I was kind of shocked by it. So, there's a law firm out of Chicago. I'm sorry, out of Colorado, that is filing filing a complaint with the Department of Education over University of California's Berkeley campus campus. Um, their black graduation. So to kind of explain that, since the 70s, UC Berkeley has had something called black graduation. And what it is, it it is a pre-graduation to the university-wide graduation. Now, you know, a lot of times at graduation, students cannot express themselves as they walk across stage. The black graduation is a little more festive. They can be a little more free. Um, you know, when fraternities and sororities are looking to do a short stroll or a step, this is something they can do at the black graduation. If families are looking to cheer and, you know, get extra excited, this is something they can do at black graduation. Now, there is a, um, as I said, there's a law firm out of Colorado, and they are saying that this black graduation is a discriminatory practice and it violates one of the titles I think it um, violates title six of the civil acts rights which um, basically calls for no discrimination in education now the one thing I'm not sure if they know but I'm sure they would have to that this is not the actual graduation this is you know a special ceremony um, where, and the university kind of coins it as, this is a ceremony where um, people of the African-American culture can feel safe and express themselves how they cannot in the normal graduation. Now, the, um, the law firm states that even though the Black graduation is open to um, all undergraduates and graduates, um, but it is specifically called a Black graduation. But the law firm states, and and Dave, I'm, I'm sure you can chuckle at this, there is no way a non-Black student would say, oh, I feel welcome at a ceremony like that, and, oh, I'd like to go on stage and accept a diploma. Now, <laughs> I, I kind of chuckle at that because, this is not the university-wide graduation. This is a special ceremony. So if there's a student who does not want to go there, then don't go. But, you know, so, you know, long story short, it's just odd that um, this law firm, and it's not spearheaded by a particular individual, just the law firm in general, you know, has a, pl- a complaint with this such Black graduation. Um, prior to coming on, I was looking at some of the social media comments and apparently, and I did not know this, there are a lot of um, predominantly white institutions 
that have ethnic, you know, graduation ceremonies prior to the university wide graduation. So, you know, I kind of feel that just kind of makes their point null and void. But, you know, it was just an interesting article that, um, you know, was my first time hearing about I went to HBCU. So I wasn't familiar with black graduation, but I think it makes perfect sense. Um, Dave, Dave, what, what are your thoughts? Um, well, it's funny. You just mentioned that you went to um, a black college, HBCU. I didn't. I went to a predominantly white college myself. Um, um, and even though we did have, and of course, this was a long time ago, you know, we had a black student union and all that stuff. No way would they allow us to have something like that at that school. No way. Um, did you okay. graduate before 1970 or after 1970? <laughs> you know what I graduated. No, 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 no. no. Uh, the, 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 I graduated. I, I graduated um, 19 uh, uh, after 1970, and um, yeah, it was actually I graduated during the 80s, so. The, the, the only reason I ask is because theirs has been going on since 1970. So, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, sometimes they set precedent and other universities kind of follow along. Or other yeah, schools. well, I could, but that's a big school and I could see them doing something like that because right. they can afford to give, you know, give something like that to, you know, a particular group of people like, you know, um, like, like our last article said, the blacks. You know, we, you know, give it to them. Um, I just know, you know, the, 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 the way to get something to stop if you don't like it is to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You feel where I'm going with this? So if they make a, a, a big enough fuss about it, they're probably hoping that it's going to go away. What school was it that had the uh, dance? Was it Cal Berkeley? They had the the dance team. No, they had the. Oh, um, it was the University of Cal. It was University of California, wasn't it? It was one of the California schools that had a, a um, kind of like a black <laughs> dorm, an ethnic dorm for black people. Cause... Okay, because I know. And okay, so it was the dorm not the dance team? Remember the 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 girl that started the 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 um oh, yep. the team? I, I, wasn't um, it, wasn't sure. it there? I'm not sure what school it is, but I, I don't know what you're talking about. She kind of yeah. started an HBCU team at, a, at right. a PWI. Yeah. Did you ever hear about this, Valerie? I've heard of it. I don't remember where it was at, though. I think it was one of the California schools. <laughs> and I, for some reason, I think it was there. Um, and it was a lot a lot of fun because, you know, they got on the girl who started the team and said, well, if you wanted to have that type of dance team, why not go to HBCU so you can just join one because you know they're going to have it? Why go to a white school and start a black dance team? You know, you know, and that's she got a lot of there was a lot of feedback in reference to her doing this. That's what that was all about. <laughs> but when you know, and normally when they when there's enough talking about it and people writing about it in social media and all that kind of stuff. That's the way it's a reverse psychology type thing to try to get it stopped because people are talking about, oh, okay, well, if people are feeling that way about it, well, we might well just stop it, that type of thing, you know. So, um, but when in looking at this this situation, 
I just feel that, um, you know, I, I just feel that, you know, I mean, if it's been in place since the 70s, right. then they might as well just leave it alone and let them have their fun. I mean, after all, after all, um, we know we're not very present during these big, large graduations. I mean, you know, when you go to a white school, you go across the stage, you get to, that's why people act up on stage. <laughs> you know, because you know, because we know it's the moment is fleeting. It's so fleeting. You wait all that time, you do all that hard work, and if you're not the valedictorian or um cum laude or any of that stuff, you only gonna go across that stage, grab your diploma, shake a few hands, and get off. You know. So why not have something that we can enjoy? You know. I'm sure they had the sororities and the fraternities doing their thing, you know, all all that going on prior to the big thing. You know, I don't have a problem with it personally. Yeah, I mean, I mean me neither. And especially since I heard a lot of other schools do, do it. And they mm -hmm. were even saying that some schools have different graduations for other ethnicities, too, like Latino, LGBT. Right. So right. Um, that's yeah, we know. Look. Man, we know they ain't going. We know they better not. <laughs> right. You know, we know that. Don't don't let them start that. Yeah. So, um, I just think it's 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 interesting, and it's always you know, the dynamic. You know, it's always going to be people who are always going to have issues with stuff that we try to do. Yeah, that's what it is. So, I mean, you think so? Um, you, what do you think, Val? You think the same way? Or you just think that? Pretty much, I think it's not infringing on anyone else's rights. It's not doing anyone any harm. And I think, like you said, it gives an opportunity to highlight a smaller population of the university students that might otherwise be overlooked or kind of fall between the cracks. We have a different way of celebrating. And if this is an opportunity for us, and I can't help but in the back of my mind wonder, hmm. University of Berkeley, this started back in the 70s. The Black Panther Party was formed in the 70s. And a lot of people just look at the Black Panther Party and think, oh, they were militant. They were this, they were that. But the origins of the Black Panther Party was really to help build up the community. And instead of relying on government saying, let's do this ourselves, we're going to feed our people. We're going to clothe our people. They were out buying the kids clothes. They were giving the kids lunch. Yeah, but they were having toy drives and all kinds of stuff. They did a lot of good, and the government came in and shut them down and killed people and falsely imprisoned people. So in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, I'm like, is this some sort of penance for that? <laughs> when you look at where where they are at, maybe that's why this law firm is doing it. I don't know, but at the end of the day, I think, hey, if these kids want to have that opportunity to celebrate, if there's an opportunity to highlight some other students that would otherwise be overlooked, it's not hurting anyone. Go for it. Yes, I agree. See? There you go. A voice of reason. There you go. All right. Good. All right. Well, that's all of our topics for tonight. We have our favorite, uh, well, Leonard's favorite thing at the end here. Uh, Leonard, this is favorite, um, Val, this is Leonard's favorite thing is okay. Dave's Corner. He he really loves to hear Dave's Corner all the time. So, and Dave's Corner is when we ask a, a question or talk about a scenario, get each, get everybody's input on it. And um, so this is the Dave's Corner for tonight. This is the question for tonight. And um, let's see. 
Leonard, why don't you, yeah, I'm going to have you answer first because you're probably going to give the most illogical answer. And then I'm going to get Val to get the smart answer. Okay. So, so we'll go from there. And, and, uh, and back, Val, um, after, after, um, after, after you answer, I'm probably going to put Dave's microphone on mute. <laughs> and then you and I will just close out the show, okay? okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so Dave's corner question for the night. If you could own a current social media platform, now keep in mind, one that's already established, that's out there that we all know, which one would it be? And what changes would you make to it to make it more your own? Yep. So um, the platform I would take would be Instagram. And I I say that because I use it the most. And it's, um, I believe, the second largest platform behind Facebook. And as far as changes I would make, um, which when I think about it is many, but when I got to speak them, they, they all disappear. Well, hold on. Let me interrupt you for a minute. Mm-hmm. Why Instagram? So, I mean, it, it is the second largest platform. Um, Instagram has seemed to be built on the model that whatever the new social media platforms, whatever their attributes are, Instagram seems to copy those attributes. So, you know, anything you can do on Facebook, you can do on Instagram. Anything you can do on TikTok, you can do on Instagram, you know, Snapchat, all those. So Instagram seems to be that almost like the Amazon where they try to swallow up, you know, the features of all the other um, social media platforms. So, okay. All right. Um, yep. So, and I what mean, changes would you make? So, I would make a couple changes. One, I would try to cut down on the spam. And I just say spam because, you know, the fake accounts, the bots, um, I feel like they run rampant. Um, so I would cut down on the spam. I would also, um, I want to say cut down on the advertising, but of course that, you know, that, that right there is money in the pocket, but I would cut, I would probably put some filters on Instagram. Um, I think that the algorithms are a little too intrusive. Um, you know, just because I look at dogs running one time and I like the picture, now, now my whole timeline is dogs running around, So, <laughs> which, which can be kind of annoying. Um, and then I would probably police the, um, you know, online bullying, the um, what I'll call the hate accounts. You know, I probably police those a little more. Um, just to give a quick example, then I'll be finished. Um, I had an I had somebody who was cloning one of my accounts, right? And it's almost like, you know, let let's say this account was DelawareBlack.com. They had DelawareBlack.com without the E in Delaware. And, you know, they they copied some pictures, they copied the the main image. And I reported it from, you know, about four or five accounts that I have. And about three months later, I got a message back. Thank you for reporting. We are not able to delete this account at this time because we don't have enough information but you know you can go ahead and block them or restrict them which which is cool but what was happening was they were messaging people that follow me pretending to be me 
um, you know, asking for money, you know, all the scammer stuff. So long story short, I reported them and my report didn't do anything and they just kind of let them go. So that's probably a couple of changes I would make. Okay. All right. Val, what would be your answer? I was thinking Instagram, but then after hearing it, I'm like, oh, maybe I went to Facebook. I would separate it from Instagram. And I, I agree. The spam and the ads. If I'm in the store looking at cornflakes, I don't need to later see an ad for cornflakes popping up on my phone, on my, on my Facebook feed. I think I would give people back the level of privacy. And I agree with the cloning accounts thing. A lot of times I'm seeing where people are stealing other people's images. So I think that would be a safeguard that I would put in where if an image has already been uploaded to find a way where you cannot duplicate that and then just go in and change the name. That would um, definitely be one of the changes. I'm trying to think what other things I would do. Well, let me ask, why, why did you pick Facebook? Um, a lot of people use Facebook. I think that like kind of what you were saying, how like the um, communication and people not having connectivity in families anymore. Facebook has been a way where pe- families have been able to connect. And I've seen where it's been a transition of younger users to more mature users that are using Facebook people who may not be as tech savvy going in and being able to use that. So putting more protections in place to make it a safer platform. Okay. All right. And you're right. Um, More people of a certain age tend to use Facebook versus the other platforms because it is easier to use. A lot of younger folks have kind of moved away from Facebook. So they go to the other platforms because, you know, of course they could be themselves and, you know, do the crazy stuff that they do. TikTok is taking over the world, you know, um, and they, you know, they spend most of their time on TikTok and uh, Instagram. That's what they spend most of the time on. So, and you did say something else that's pretty interesting about the, about Facebook, um, connecting with family and so forth. I actually found family members that I had been looking for for 40 plus years on Facebook. Um, And that was a chance finding. And, and, you know, and the person that I can, the person who I was looking for, who was one of three sisters, didn't even have a Facebook account, but her name showed up in her niece's Facebook page, on her niece's Facebook page. And that's how I found it. It's because I saw the name, you know, um, by chance. So that's a good thing. That's a real cool thing about Facebook is being able to connect with families. So I I agree with you as far as that. Okay. um, As far as myself, I'll go ahead and answer that question myself. Mine would be Twitter. And I'm going to say my reason for choosing Twitter is because I think Twitter has the potential uh, to be so much greater than what it is because it allows you to say things directly to people. It, the platform probably has probably the most celebrities and entertainers than any other platform on it, you know, and people who talk on a regular basis to people, you know, like if you want to have a conversation with Denzel Washington, 
that you know you can't have any other time and Denzel's on Twitter, you can have a conversation with him on Twitter. You know, um, that might be the only place you might be able to have that conversation with him, you know, um, or any other celebrity. So um, that's what we use. That's why that would be the place I would go because of the accessibility that you different people of so many different variety and lifestyles. The other thing is what I would change about it. Um, the bullying. There's a lot of bullies on, on Twitter. Um, I would make it a place that you can go on and have a conversation without having to worry about somebody calling you out your name or somebody um, trying to embarrass you or somebody trying to play you in some kind of way because you made a mistake or you said something that wasn't probably popular. I would make it more of a friendly place to be able to have a conversation with people and be able to really enjoy yourself in having those conversations and be able to follow all the different things. Because th- what makes uh, face, I mean, um, Twitter so unique if you're watching some type of event or a TV show or a sporting event, you know, Twitter, you know, is updating you on all that stuff as, as you're watching it. You know, it's it's really unique. And, you know, um, and that's why I would probably use that platform to do the things that I would like to do with it. And that would be my 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 particular place. Gotcha. Um, so, Dave, and I, I, I can definitely agree with you on some points. If I'm watching a good TV show or like a reality show and I like, I want to know what other people's react, like uh, even the BET Awards, when I kind of yeah. want to know what, what, yeah. what people were saying, you know, I yep. want to you go Twitter. right to Twitter. It's right there. Yeah. And, you know, it's just well, kind of here exactly so, like in real time. Valerie, Valerie, look, the perfect example of this. <laughs> Me and Leonard talk about this all the time. The slap that was heard around the world. Let it it out. That was so funny. I still think laugh about that Leonard about that night. Now Leonard rarely I mean, he's not a big Oscars person, but he was at an Oscars party that, that you were at an Oscars party that night, yeah, right? Yep, I was. Yeah. Right. So uh when that happened. Leonard and I immediately start hitting each other up and said, did that just happen? Was that real? <laughs> you know, like that, right? Twitter was blowing up. Yes, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it was, uh, you know, and everybody's like, nah, that was fake. That wasn't real. That was fake. Did you see how they came down? But then everybody was going back and forth until they showed that Australia, I think it was Australia. They showed the version oh, in yeah. Australia. <laughs> and that's when everybody, because then you heard the cuss words and all of the other stuff. And you saw you saw Will Smith's reaction when he sat back down, you know, keep my wife's name out of you. And look, and watching Lupita Luago going like she had popcorn in her hand. Was like, <laughs> you know, so um, but that's that's what I'm talking about. Nothing. There's nothing else like that. And that's what makes Twitter so popular. And, you know, and it does give you real time on a lot of stuff, you know, so that's why that would be my platform. So, yeah. Okay. All right. You, there's Dave's Corner, people. You know, Leonard's favorite spot. You know, now you see why it's Leonard's favorite, favorite spot, you know, because, you know, we ask good questions on that. So there we have it, guys. That, that you know, that's the 
that's our show for tonight. We're going to ask um, our guests, our wonderful guests, to go ahead and give her pages again, her social media pages, and how you can contact her. And all of you guys should be writing this stuff down. I think, Leonard, you going to put any of this on the, uh, you know, um, when we go to put it on the website and everything? Um, yeah, so, yep. So what I do is I'll probably, um, Valerie, is, is all your information on the website? From the website, can they get everywhere they need to go? Yes. Okay. okay. All right. So all right. I'll, um, I'll make sure to include the website and our show notes. Okay. All right. Okay. All right, but go ahead, Val. Go ahead and say what you want to say. So again, just I want to thank you, gentlemen, for having me on your show. This has been very entertaining as well as informative. And if anyone is interested in looking to work with me as their coach, if you're looking for a motivational speaker, if you're looking for a trainer, you can reach me at thevoiceofnewbeginnings.com. You can also find MX5, the self-care journal for mothers, on Amazon. There's also a link for that on the website. If you're looking to see what types of things are going on, you can find me at the voice of new beginnings with a hyphen between each word and underscore me between each word at Instagram. You can check me out on Twitter. You can check me out on LinkedIn. All of them are the same. The voice of new beginnings.com. Okay. All right. There you have it folks. You know, it's the voice of new beginnings. And if you happen to be in North Carolina in September, I'm in the process of doing a project right now with Carolina Country Weddings. We picked a date September 8th. We're going to have an awesome, awesome time of kind of like meditative moments at the table for women. So if you're a woman looking to find some tips to really hone in on getting clarity if you want to go deeper in your faith, if you're really looking for ways to focus the influence that you as a woman has, I invite you to connect with me on social media so you can stay up to date as we put this thing together. But that will be September 8th. Now, let me ask, would it be, would you guys have a link to be able to maybe purchase the link to, to, to check into that? Yes. Once, once we finalize and get all the details, it will be on an Eventbrite. And all okay. of that information can also be found on my website and all of my social media. Okay. Now, what part of North Carolina are you in? You never said. Charlotte, just right outside of Charlotte. So the uh, the event will be in Mount Pleasant. So we're in the Charlotte metro area. Okay. All right. Great. Great. Okay. There you have it, folks. We want to thank Miss Jackson for coming on and hanging with us. Uh, hope it wasn't too painful for you know and you know and uh, that's Miss Jackson. If, Oh, no, I can't say that part. Um, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but but anyway, we want to thank her. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Um, I want to thank her. <laughs> you got know. all the jokes. <laughs> no, hey, look, you know, it's easy. You know, her name's Jackson. What can you say? It's easy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm sorry for losing control, by the way. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I had to throw hey, that hey, one in there. Too. Hey, hey, hey uh, Valerie. Huh? It's pretty good. Valerie, anytime you want me to mute them, just raise your hand. <laughs> just let me just practice. Oh, <laughs> um, anyway, anyway. Um, but <laughs> thank you again for joining us. Me and Leonard really appreciate having you come on and we really enjoyed you. So thank you again um for joining us this evening. And um and I guess, Len, do you have anything you want to add before we get out of here? Yeah, um, I just want to wish everybody a great weekend. Enjoy your 4th of July. 
Um, please be careful. Dave, today I saw about 20 cops or more on the road. I saw a lot of people getting pulled over. So, Wait, ho, 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 ho. 4th of July. Why are you talking about 4th of July? Because it's coming up, Dave. 4th of July. And is what day is 4th of July on? It's a Tuesday. All right. Okay. All right. Let's keep that in mind. Okay. I mean, ju just in case we're not able to do our weekend roundup, I want to wish people, you know, 4th of July. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> that was good. That was good. <laughs> okay. See, see, this is what I put up with all the time now. This, this is the kind of stuff I put up with. That was a good okay. comeback. <laughs> I know. I, I, I look. I think he's trying to tell me something subliminally here. I don't know. So, but anyway. Yes. But I anyway, know. but <laughs> thank you, folks, for for joining us tonight. Uh, hopefully, we'll be talking to you on Friday. Thanks to Leonard just saying that just then. But we'll be talking to you on a weekend roundup of, on Friday. And once again, have a good night. And thank you for joining us. next week, ladies and gentlemen, for another edition of News and Trends with your hosts, Dave and Lynn.